Welcome once again to another Björkness podcast. Today's podcast discusses deep water in and around the Nordic seas. I'm Stephen Allen, here with my colleague Ingil Pilskog. Good day. Deep water masses consist of cold, high salinity water, which sinks and flows below the often discussed near-surface ocean currents. It is a vital component of the Atlantic meridional overturning circulation and contributes heavily to the deep, long-term storage of heat and carbon. Understanding the role of deep water in the climate system is of great importance and contributes directly to the Sustainable Development Goal and the European Mission for Sustainable and Healthy Oceans. We're joined today by Christine Richter, an oceanographer and senior researcher at Norse, specialising in sea level rise and the North Atlantic. Christine, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. So let's get started then. Um, what is deep water? How can you have deep water? What is deep water and how is it formed? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think you you partly answered it already. Um, you talked about uh, cold and um, cold water with high salinity. So deep water, when we talk about water masses, we also talk about density. And the densest water is also the water that is heaviest. So it sinks down um, and is... Um, overlaid by lighter water. So what makes water dense? Um, the colder water, uh, the denser. The colder the water is, the denser it is. And also the more salt um, is in the water, um, the more dense the water is, or the denser the water is. So water that is cold and has a high salinity is dense water and sinks to the bottom and forms deep water. So. Um you say it's particularly about uh, how cold it is and also the depth. What sort of depth is this? I mean, how deep is deep water and how cold? Yeah, um, that depends, of course, on where we look at deep water. So the Nordic Seas um, has a depth for is about several thousand metres depth uh, deep. So deep water there would be at the depth... Um, actually, sometimes we talk about deep water... Uh, at depths below uh, 1,500 meters or so. And in the Nordic Seas, um, I think deep water, we have it around uh, 3,000 meter depth or mm. so. So this is, this is quite a bit further down than, for example, like the Gulf Stream, which sits at something like 800, 1,200 meters. That is true. The Gulf Stream is rather, rather warm water. It's very saline, but warm. And um, in that case, it's relatively light, so it sits uh, at the surface. How warm is the Gulf Stream? It's... About 10 to 20, depending yes. upon whether you're in the Gulf of Mexico yes, or uh, it's, further it's, out. I, I would say, well, about 15 degrees or so. And but the deep yeah. water? Um, the deep water is, uh, it can be, we have to know that um, seawater, which has salt, can actually be colder than zero degrees. Um, so and not frozen? Not And not frozen, exactly. So uh, deep water um, is, so it can be colder than uh, zero degrees. But uh, in that case, I think, depending on where we look at, it's about everything below zero to three, four, five degrees. Okay. So I think there's a key question that non-oceanographers are going to be wondering, which is, how can you tell? You've got water inside water. You've got water under the ocean, in the water. How do you identify deep water separately from all the rest of the water? That is actually a very good question, and it's not uh, trivial to do that. Of course. <laughs> so um, what you need to measure is uh, temperature and salinity. 
um, so you need to know temperature and salinity uh, in the water column. So you can also have a water column that is well mixed with the same temperature and salinity everywhere. So then, of course, you don't have deep water. But you can have a water column that is very well stratified. So you have cold uh, or dense water at the bottom, and you know this because you hopefully know temperature and salinity, and you have lighter water on top, with, which is usually warmer, um, and depending on how warm it is, it is fresher or more saline. So it's really these, we call it hydrographic properties of the water temperature and salinity that you need to know in order to identify deep water. So what sort of instrument sets up would, would measure sort of the temperature and salinity through a water column? Um, that of course also changes over time. So now I think it's really um, from, from ships we have so-called CTDs, conductivity, temperature, depth. So these uh, sensors, they are being lowered from a boat um, through the entire water column. And while they um, descend or even ascend, they measure temperature and, and salinity. Um, so, so this is how we, how we know uh, about temperature and salinity. And there are many other um, instruments, for example, um, something um, that is really rather recent is these Argo floats. So these are floats. Um, floating um, sensors that just by themselves, by changing uh, their volume, go up and down um, in the ocean. So they also profile the ocean, but they don't need a ship to do that. You can just put them in the water, leave them there, um, program them, and then they just go up and down regularly and measure temperature and salinity. And presumably they transmit all their data and when they, they transmit surface. the data, um, yeah. Like you have the Gulf Stream on top and then you have the deep waters and what's in between? Medium waters. Medium waters, <laughs> yeah. Well, like, what's characteristic of medium water? I know that it's on the side, but just like, is it? Is there all? Are there also ocean currents there, or is it mostly still? Like, yeah, I guess it's never really still in the ocean, but um, we have rather intense currents. I would say at the top and the bottom, and then maybe rather a diffuse flow in 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 the medium uh, mm. waters. So it is actually a separate type of water layer. It's not just sort of the upper and higher limits of the... Uh... You mean the medium? Yeah. Um, yes, yes. It also has uh, special characteristics, temperature and salinity. Yeah. There are some other characteristics, as I understand it, regarding deep water, such as they tend to have sort of high oxygen content. Mm -hmm. um, and they also tend to have things like um, high CFC rates. Is that correct? CFC is carbofluorocarbon. Yeah. Um, I don't know about the CFCs, but oxygen, um, yes, and that's because, um, well, for example, in the Nordic seas, we, we form deep water by um, water that is at the surface and that is cooling, it's getting heavy and it sinks down. So this water has been in contact with the atmosphere quite recently, mm -hmm. and there we have exchanges um, between the atmosphere and the surface uh, and the sea surface. So this water is, is rather oxygen enriched and it sinks to the to the bottom of the ocean, takes this oxygen with it. And so that's why it's it's um, uh, rather rich in, in oxygen. Uh, if we think about the North Atlantic in general, there's actually a few different sources of deep water. Is that correct? That's they don't. It's not all just formed in the Arctic, for example. There's actually a number of different locations. Yes, uh, that's true. So there's um, one location in the Nordic Seas, uh, so north of the Greenland, Scotland, rich, um, where we where this really cold or this really dense water is formed. And then there's uh, also something in the subpolar gyre that would be south of the Greenland, Scotland, rich, and in the Labrador Sea. 
So um, there are different sites, that is true, um, where, where deep water is formed. And in terms of deep water, you actually think of these being the deep water itself has multiple sort of layers exactly. within it. Exactly, yes, that's mm -hmm. true. So at least in the North Atlantic, we talk about uh, North Atlantic deep water, which, is, um, uh, which consists of upper North Atlantic deep water and lower North Atlantic deep water. So the lower North Atlantic deep water would be denser because it's closer to the bottom and the upper North Atlantic deep water is, is uh, still dense but less dense than the lower North Atlantic deep water. And the upper level water comes mainly from the Labrador Sea as I exactly, understand. Exactly, yes. With open, open yeah. ocean convection being the cause of it cooling yes. and, and sinking. Yeah, that's true. But then the deeper water is all coming more from the Nordic seas yes. over the Greenland-Scotland Ridge. That's, that's right. Your interest then is primarily in overflow waters. So this is coming over the Greenland-Scotland Ridge. Um, so this, this Greenland-Scotland Ridge, just for the sake of our audience, what is it? Is there, what sort of ridge is it? How, how deep is it? How deep is the yeah. water on either side sort of thing? What, what makes it a ridge? So it's an, it's an underwater ridge. So we can have mountain ranges also below water. And that would be such a mountain range. And it's about uh, it's seven, several hundred meters shallow in that case or deep. So, um, and uh, as we said, uh, the Nordic seas are several thousand meters deep and uh, so is the North Atlantic. So, um, and this ridge really stretches from, from Greenland uh, to Iceland and from Iceland via the Faroes to the Shetland Islands. So it really um, separates the Nordic seas from the North Atlantic. So there's literally just a mountain range exactly. extending yes. from Scotland through Iceland to Greenland. And on either side, it's a thousand meters, thousands of meters deep. That's right. But on the top of the mountain range, it, the water's only Several five hundreds to eight hundred times yes. like this. Yeah. And of course, this mountain ridge has valleys also, so it has deeper passages and ah. uh, less deep passages. And of course, the deep water uh, that sinks down low, if it comes over, will probably go through these valleys. Right? That's what we think, yes. That's, <laughs> That's what you would expect, yeah. How good is uh, the observational network around this ridge? How well can you see what's flowing over this? Yeah. Um, so there are many sites where these things are measured. So it's not just the overflows that is measured there, but also the Atlantic inflow. So the surface water that is um, crossing from the North Atlantic into the Nordic seas. So you mentioned these Argo floats. So they, for example, if they go up and down, they'd measure near the surface. And then as they're going down, they'd measure the deep water. But yes. then when they come back up, they'd measure they these surfaces. They would surface. measure both, if they go deep enough. Yeah. Yeah. How much do they move around in this, these waters? The Argo floats. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's up to you. I think you can really, you can have them profile the entire ridge if mm. you want to, or you just um, keep them stationary if you like. So uh, I think, um, well, they, they move with the flow uh, as well. So it really depends on whether you put them into a quiet region or into a, into a flow. Mm. So this way you can also learn something about the circulation in this, in this region. Cool. How far back do the observations go? You mentioned yeah. Argo floats quite new. So. Yeah, quite Argo floats are quite new. And um, so I'm not sure how much they actually um, really monitor the ridge, the actual ridge. Um, but at the ridge, we do have um, measurements or like continuous measurements since the mid-1990s um, at different sites. Uh, so there's always also different um, countries and institutes involved. So we have Iceland. Uh, Iceland is really also interested in profiling or measuring um, the strait between um, Iceland and Greenland. 
which is called the Denmark Strait. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we have the Faroe, uh, Faroe Islands, and they um, measure or profile the um, Iceland Faroe Ridge. And uh, Norway, of course, has always been um, active as well. They um, measure the inflow um, a bit further north. Um, Scotland has several moorings, so um, it's a bit, it needs to be coordinated, these kind of um, measurements, and they are right now. But it takes time to set up such an um, observational network that really makes sense. And this has been done now for many, many years. Um, and we have good time series of the overflow and the inflow and also the outflow. Um, but so there are, I would say, a few decades, which is nice, but it's still not long enough to really detect a very long term signal. So these observations definitely need to be continued. Definitely. Um, obviously, you know, since the 1990s, particularly since the 70s, uh, the climate change signal has become much more apparent. We've seen the sort of global temperatures and many other features. Um, but has there been much change in the overflow waters? I mean, is climate change affecting, or is it present, if you like, in this, this overflow? Because you say that the ridge, for example, at its shallowest is, say, 500 metres. That means that the water you're interested in, this overflow water, is still under 500 metres of water away from the nice warming atmosphere. So do you actually yeah. see climate change in these overflow waters? Yeah, that's, so that's a really um, exciting uh, question. You would actually think you see something, but um, recent um, measurements, also these, these decadal, decadal or these measurements that are more than 20 years now, um, they show actually that the overflow is surprisingly stable, so in terms of transport. So they don't really show a trend in, in um, the amount of water uh, that crosses the ridge. But uh, what they show is that the properties of these waters change. So they, they see that this water gets warmer slowly. So, but whether this is really a, a long-term signal that is man-made or whether this is um, internal variability, we still don't know. One of the other factors of climate change for oceanography, which we've actually discussed on previous episodes, is the AMOC, which is expected to weaken under a changing climate. Um, and recent studies showed that Examining the AMOC over the last 1600 years, it was relatively stable until the sort of 19th century. And then since 1850, it's kind of declined with a big drop in like the mid 20th century. Um, but that's sort of the Atlantic meridional overturning circulation. Uh, what role does deep water play in that? And has that shown any decline or change? Yeah, so, so the Atlantic meridional overturning circulation transports warm water at the surface northwards and this water gets transformed and returns at, as cold water at depth um, southwards. So the overflow, they partly feed this lower limb of the Atlantic meridional overturning circulation. Um, so you, you would think uh, once the AMOC um, is reduced in strength, that would also somehow affect the overflows. Um, and indeed, um, there is an array of measurements at 26 north. It's called the Rapid Array. It spans the entire North Atlantic from the Bahamas to um, the coast of Africa. So that's subtropics. That's Subtropic, quite close to the yes, equator sort of thing. It's, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they measure the, the northward flow of warm water, but also the return flow of cold water. Mm -hmm. And there they actually noticed that um, this cold water, this return flow, um, has, is reduced in strength. 
um, for the past 10, 15 years or so. I must also say these measurements only started in 2004, so it's still a relatively short, it's a great data set, but still relatively short. So um, we don't really know if this is really a long-term signal or whether this is uh, some kind of internal decadal variability, some, some natural variability. So in the sort of southern North Atlantic where it goes into sort of the tropics and starts heading in that direction at 26 north, you're seeing reduced deep water. Yes. But on the northern end of the Atlantic, coming from the Nordic seas over this ridge, you're not seeing a reduction. Yeah, that's correct. So that would mean that somewhere between the Greenland-Scotland ridge and the subtropics, deep is just disappearing or accumulating or accumulating <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so um, that's the kind of uh, seems at first at a first glance as a contradiction in the observations but then um, it's still um, a lot of things can happen between the Greenland Scotland Ridge and 26 North and uh, so the water can be stored it's not like that there's a direct pipe or flow from the Greenland Scotland Ridge southwards um, so this water can take many years to, to reach um, 26 north. It can also be stored in this, for example, subpolar gyre. So there are also gyres in the ocean. Um, so there are many uh, potential explanations uh, for this. It's, yeah. We did mention there was uh, other sources of deep water. So has there been any change in something like the Labrador Sea deep water? Or is that... Uh, upper level deep water and not lower level deep water. Yeah, it seems um, it seems at least at 26 North that um, this upper North Atlantic deep water, which originates in the Labrador Sea, has not changed so much. A little, but not as much as the lower North Atlantic deep water, which originates from the Nordic Seas, that has um, declined. The transport has declined. Now, of course, you have recently, very recently, um, been involved in organising a workshop uh, in June, uh, which was funded by the Nordic Council of Ministers. And this brought together Nordic scientists, all with expertise in these overflow waters. So let us into the secret. What did the experts say about this mystery? Yeah, the experts discussed quite a bit <laughs> and tried to resolve this mystery. Um, I think what's what really... Um, there are, of course, several ideas. So one is this, this storage, uh, for example, of deep water. And also, um, it takes time for the deep water to move southwards. And um, so it's what is formed is not necessarily the same um, that is observed at 26 North. Um, but also what uh, what we agreed on, or, uh, all of us, is that we that observations are really, really necessary or really um, a long-term observational network is really crucial in order to understand what, what is happening. And um, as I said, this uh, uh, overflow water feeds the lower limb of the overturning circulation. So it's really important that we understand what is happening there and how um, the changing properties of the overflow water, it's getting warmer, actually potentially may affect also the uh, overturning circulation. You mentioned earlier, like the, on the Greenland-Scotland Ridge, the fact that sort of multiple different countries need to be involved in order to maintain a sensible observation. So I guess workshops like this, the critical part of it is to find your mystery, which you've got, and now to start arranging the collaboration and decide where you need to observe, who is going to observe, how it's going to be organised and so on. You've, you've got ideas for how to tackle this and now it's about the collaboration and going out and doing the research and doing the, 
Yeah, uh, that's true. So it was really the, the main goal was to bring together all this expertise, um, to put observations on the table and to identify knowledge gaps and also gaps in the, in the observational network. Just as the waters dive deep into the ocean, uh, so too could we dive deeper into this topic. However, time is always against us and our time today is up. We'd like to thank our guest, Christine Richter, for speaking with us today. Thank you. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you for coming. And we'd like to thank you all for tuning in once again. From myself, Stephen Outen, and my colleague, Ingeol Pilskog, stay safe and join us again for another of the Björkner's podcasts. Thank you for listening. You have now been listening to a podcast from the Birkner Center for Climate Research. The center is a collaboration between the University of Bergen, Norwegian Research Center NORS, the Nansen Environmental and Remote Sensing Center, and Institute of Marine Research, IMR. The music is from Lee Rosevere, Arcade Montage, BY 3.0.